Welcome to the Fox Hunt, Vixens by the Numbers, your once-a-week deep dive into all the numbers that matter to Super Netball side, the Melbourne Vixens, currently sitting outright top of the ladder. The Fox Hunt is brought to you by Deakin, home to the world's number one sports science school. I'm Erin Delahunty, a freelance netball journalist. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm on today. I'm coming to you from Echuca in Victoria, the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders past and present. As all of our loyal fox hunters know, this is a stats-based podcast all about blending the feel of what happens on the Super Netball Court with the cold, hard statistics. And as I am every week, I'm joined by Dr. Aaron Fox from Deakin to analyse the Melbourne Vixens' most recent couple of games this week. Aaron is a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods and a sports data and visualisations guru. To dissect two wins by the Vixens in about five days over the West Coast Fever and New South Wales Swifts, here's Aaron who's coming to us from Wadawurrung land. Welcome Aaron. Well, we're talking about two more wins and as I mentioned, a Vixen side that is sitting atop the ladder on its own own right for the first time this season yeah that's right Aaron first time we've seen that all year and now sitting atop of the ladder I believe guaranteed to finish either first or second by finals time no matter what happens well Vixen fans are lucky in that sense I guess aren't they they don't need a calculator unlike a lot of other fans at the moment talking about mathematical mm. possibilities um I was speaking to a, a colleague earlier this week Michael Hutchinson and he was saying this little crunch round we've just th- we've just been through. We saw the Vixens win every other which way, you know, after relinquishing a big lead, holding a big start, and coming back from behind. So, let's take a look at those the two games. So, the first one, of course, was a very important win over Fever in Perth on Tuesday. This was a really highly anticipated game, given Fever and Vixens have really been the best two sides this season. And before the game, they were tied on premiership points. The Vixens really jumped the fever in this one and got out to a nine-goal lead by quarter time, which really set up the win. Uh, Liz Watson started and stayed at centre. Kate Maloney played wing defence all game and Hannah Mundy looked after the wing attack bib. And as she did in the Vixens' previous win over Fever, former Fever player Liv Lewis started at goalkeeper on Janelle Fowler. Also of note, Joe Weston sat off for the whole second half, allowing Emily Mannix to run goal defence. Despite the Vixens' fast start, though, the Fever did manage to win the second and third quarters, mainly care of Fowler. But the Vixens were better in the last and came away with a six-goal win and, as we said, that top spot on the ladder. What were the key numbers that grabbed your eye, Aaron? Well, as you've mentioned, the first quarter was obviously one that stood out, and I'll get to that in a sec. But broadly, there are a couple of interesting things that came from this game. Uh, The deflections and what happened off these were an interesting one in this match. So the Fever actually led this stat 19 to 12 um, uh, over the Vixens, but the deflections with gains coming from that was six to one in the Vixens' favour. So the Vixens recorded gains from 50% of their deflections versus the Fever only getting these gains from approximately 5% of their deflections, which is a really low comparative number to other matches we've seen all year um following on from these gains the the goals that came from these were actually quite good for both teams the fever actually converted 100 of their gains to goal scoring uh, but only had seven gains across the match 
Uh, and the Vixens had 13 gains and converted 12 of these to goals. So only one off that plus 10 gains and 100% gain to goal mark that we've spoken about as being a really kind of niche statistic that only happens once per season. Uh, as I mentioned, the first quarter is one that stood out. The Vixens had six gains in this first quarter, almost as many as the Fever had yeah, for the whole huge. game. Yeah. And this really set them up to, to take that lead. And because of this, in the first quarter, the Vixens had 25 shot attempts to the Fever's 13. So with that sort of disparity, you're never going to be close at quarter time. Yeah, look, it really did feel watching the game that, ah, the Vixens are in control here. They're going to they're gonna win this game. That You know, I think we do really need to focus on that first quarter to begin with as it really was sort of so pivotal to the, to the result. Talk to me a little bit about what happened in that 15 minutes. Yeah, so like without completely ignoring everything that happened throughout the game, because obviously <laughs> the Vixens, you know, needed to continue to play out yeah. the game to win. But statistically, you could look at this one and say it was decided in the first few minutes. Uh, the Vixens got up eight to one by four minutes into the match. And if you take out these first four minutes and reset the scoreboard, mm -hmm. while the game did seesaw a little bit, um, you know, there would have been a time that the Vixens pushed out another plus five goals. Uh, but from that four minutes on, it was a pretty even game with the Fever actually being on top across mm. a lot of it and even outscoring the Vixens from that point on by one goal. Interesting. So really won in that first few minutes. I think that's probably what Dan Ryan wishes they could have done at the four-minute mark, um, given his discussion of that start afterwards. Now, I mentioned Janelle Fowler, who we know is so central to Fever's success. She started really slowly too. Yeah, well, the turnovers early on sort of going into the goal circle meant a lack of Janelle Fowler on your TV screen, which for any <laughs> netball fan would feel really odd. Um, and looking at the scoring data, like I found that Fowler's first shot in this match was 242 seconds in or, you know, just over four minutes, which, um, you know, seems very odd. Yeah, look, and that's the first attempt, right? That's not even as if maybe she's missed a couple and and then she yeah. got it. So to take four minutes, yeah, that's quite extraordinary. And I guess probably the same for Liv Lewis to not get her hands on the ball for a while as well is, is kind of interesting. Has it ever taken Fowler that long to take her first shot before? You know, I would have thought that it was the longest, yep. uh, but digging through the games that she's played for the Fever, uh, it was actually the second longest it's taken her to put up a shot in a match. So okay. um, shout out to, uh, we've mentioned it before, Vixen superfan Jess Curry, who answered this question off the top of her head oh, brilliant. Uh, on Twitter last night. Uh, but it was round eight in 2019 against the Thunderbirds where it took her about five and a half minutes to get a shot up and really similar circumstances to this match over the weekend where the fever found themselves down seven to one before mm. she took her first shot. Yeah. Um, so, you know, surprisingly similar context. Um, and just to kind of put this into um, the broader context of what Fowler's is normally doing for the mm -hmm. fever, she's taken her first shot attempt in less than 30 seconds for 33 of her games with the fever. So that's about 45% of her matches with them. And if we look at the first 60 seconds or the first minute of a game, she has taken a shot within 57 of her games with the fever, which is 77% of these matches. So 
you know, even anything over a minute is starting. Janelle Fowler is probably starting to get a little fancy <laughs> that, to get her hands on the ball. That is pretty wild, isn't it? And it really puts into perspective, I guess, how hard the Vixens probably worked in that first four minutes to make that uh, reality. As I mentioned at the top, Liv Lewis again got the nod at goalkeeper. Tell me a bit about her game. I mean, she was a big part as to why the Vixens had six gains in that first quarter, I guess, because she was really covering Fowler and confusing the space. Yeah, well, she, out of those six gains, took three herself, accounting for 50% of the Vixens' gains alone in that first quarter, which, you know, really, as we've said, set up the match and set the tone for it. Um, she had five total deflections across the game. Um, and perhaps the most impressive thing with what she did was she had only two penalties in each quarter. So that's eight total across the match, which is pretty good for someone who's sorting into goalkeeper against arguably the best goal shooter going around. Uh, and with her five gains for the match combined with these penalties, it gives her that penalties to gain ratio that we've spoke about of two, which is really in that elite bracket, you know, very few players are getting to that range. Yeah, the lack of penalties is staggering. I mean, different teams have different metrics about how many is acceptable and, and how many isn't, but eight isn't even on that list. You wouldn't even dream of a goalkeeper being that clean. Just imagine if Nissa Net Points gave you a point for staying in play <laughs> or getting a lower than average number of penalties, Aaron. But I, I mean, digress. Maybe... <laughs> Yeah, maybe something for them to think about next year. Now, let's turn our mind to the most recent game that we've seen, the Vixens win over the New South Wales Swifts on Saturday, which felt very different to the Fever the fever match, where the Vixens, as we've said, led from start to finish effectively. It was the Swifts who made the much better start in this game, and the Vixens had to really claw their way back into the game. What changed between the first quarter, I guess, which saw the Swifts dominate to, you know, the last three quarters, which the Vixens obviously won on the scoreboard to win 59-53, Aaron? Well, it was probably all about the turnovers in this one, uh, where the Vixens had eight turnovers in that first quarter. And if they kept that pace up, you extrapolate that out to four quarters, that's 32 turnovers, which would have been the most in the year by a long way, I would think. Ouch. But they reined it in and then only had 10 for the remaining three quarters, which brought it back down to a reasonable level. Mm -hmm. Some other key stats that kind of stood out in this one, once again, the Vixens outgained their opponent 10 to 8 in this match. And they, again, had that gain-to-goal percentage of 90%. So only one off that, you know, 100% gain-to-goal again for the weekend. Mm -hmm. They had more goal misses than the Swiss, which isn't surprising given they had more goal attempts. Okay. But their ability to rebound their own misses was at six to nothing versus the Swiss. And so the missed shot conversion for the Vixens was at 67% to the Swiss 0%, which is a pretty big standout area. Especially when you've got Helen Housby in there, who is traditionally such a great rebounder for the Swiss. She reads the play so well. Now, I mentioned at the top the Vixens. Um, lineup you know ha has sort of changed and switched you crunched some numbers some numbers on the the midcourt in this uh swifts game and what happened when when things changed yeah so the starting lineup which had mundy watson and maloney in that midcourt trio uh which has been a really solid lineup that the vixens have gone to recently actually went down four to eight in the first six minutes. And if this scoring rate and kind of pace between the two teams had have continued and they were left out there for 60 minutes, it mm -hmm. would have been about a 40-goal loss, <laughs> which is not good. 
doesn't probably might explain why we saw some changes in in the second half and we saw Kate Maloney go uh, back back home, I guess, to to centre and Liz Watson back to to wing attack. So from those changes, it it really was a different story on the scoreboard and on the stats sheet, Aaron. Yeah, so that shift in the midcourt from the second quarter onwards uh, back to the more traditional lineup of Watson, Maloney and Eddie in those positions um, kind of signified the the time point that the game changed. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about just that other lineup, if we extrapolated the scoring rate out to 60 minutes, they would have lost by 40. <laughs> if we did the same for this lineup from the second quarter onwards over 60 minutes, that was, you know, plus 11 goals for the Vixens there. So. Yeah. That's obviously much better and you could really see a shift um, with this lineup coming into the game. And yeah, that second quarter really did bring about something different. So it was either the lineup or maybe something Simone McInnes said to the team at that quarter time break got them back on track. Maybe she mentioned that her name was on the trophy that they were fighting for, Aaron. Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a pretty pretty good ploy to put out there to your players. Uh, but Going into the quarter time break, they were down 17 to 12. And then they come out in the second corner. They halved their turnovers. They only recorded nine total penalties in that second quarter. And they outscored the Swifts 16 to 11 in that quarter. And the match was back level at halftime. So they really sort of got themselves back on track there. Yeah, I mean, it's that simple, isn't it? Clean up your turnovers and score more. Done. Mm, exactly. <laughs> now, Maddie Proud, who who many people think should be in the Diamonds squad for the Commonwealth Games, seemed to have a real up and down game as well. Did her numbers reflect that? Yeah, a similar sort of shift from the first quarter onwards for Proud's uh, match and her statistics. In the first quarter, she had 12 feeds and eight of those came with an attempt from her shooters. Mm-hmm. In the second quarter, this actually dropped to four feeds total all of those had attempts, but you know that's a third of the the total number of feeds she put mm. from quarter one to quarter two, mm-hmm. and then she only actually had five feeds with an attempt in the third and fourth quarter as well. Uh, in the first quarter, she had zero turnovers, but that jumped up to two turnovers in the second and third quarter. Mm-hmm. And if we look broadly at the net points given to Proud in the first quarter, she had forty seven, which is you know Huge. right up there. Mm. And then in the second quarter she and the third quarter, she only had seven and six and a half net points respectively. So that is a really massive drop-off in that metric. Yeah, and probably not too much of a shift to, to think about, you know, Maloney's defensive game, you know, uh, putting that pressure on her as opposed to someone like Elise Watson in the first quarter. Now, with those wins under the belt, the Vixens this week host the Sunshine Coast Lightning, who Vixens fans, I'm sure, will remember beat the Vixens earlier this season, and they also just thrashed the Queensland Firebirds at the weekend. So this will be far from an easy game. I think Cara Conan was quite clear in her post-game interview at the weekend that they are here to be a pain in the butt for teams as this season unfolds. And we see it time and time again in Super Netball that teams that we don't expect to win, they pick up those wins at the end of the year. So I'm assuming the Vixens certainly won't be taking this one this game at John Kane Arena lightly. What do you think um, Simone McInnes and Die Honey will be looking at to sort of get over the Sunshine Coast Lightning this weekend? Well, I don't really know what to say about the Lightning this year because <laughs> they've been so up and down. You say it could be far from an easy game, but it, yeah. it could be an easy game. You never know. Yes. And the, the up and down nature of the Lightning season actually made me look at 
the variability of their stats this year. So okay. not just like what they've been doing, but how it's been fluctuating across the year. And the Lightning actually has the second highest variation in their scoring across the league, where the typical or kind of standard variation around their score is up and down by about 10 goals about their average um, from week to week. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, there's games where we've seen them up around that 70 to 80 mark and then games where we've seen them much lower and that's indicative in that sort of variability around their scoring. Uh, they play at the second highest pace behind the Firebirds across competition this year. Um, playing at a high pace isn't really the Vixens thing, mm -hmm. and they've been effective at slowing other teams down all year to, mm. to slower than what they typically play at. So that's probably something they'll be trying to do with the Lightning uh, in the game this weekend. Uh, and the Lightning have the lowest average gains in the league. So they're not great at forcing teams into turnovers. And we've seen across various games this year, the Vixens have been up and down with their unforced mm. turnovers. So I guess if they look after their own errors, it should be a low turnover game, yep. which is generally pretty indicative of success. Yep. Maybe the Lightning having the lowest average gains, we should call that the Carla Pretorius effect. I'd love to know what difference taking her out of a, a team makes because she is someone that, you know, turns over a lot of ball for a team. Yeah, very interesting because she has, I think, been either first or second in gains for the league in almost every year she's played. So yeah. it's a good point. I don't think I'm the only one that's desperately missing a bit of Carla action this season. She's such a beautiful player to watch. Now it's time for Fox Answers the Fans where we, well, not we, you attempt to stump Aaron with a statistical question. We love getting your questions via all the social media platforms using the hashtag thefoxhuntpod. The curlier the question, the better, please. Now today we have our first question is from a Twitter user by the name of Mogaz M. They want to understand what constitutes a turnover in Super Netball, which I think is a really great uh, thing to it because we do talk about this all the time. Um, they noticed watching a quad series once that a particular player was Jamie Lee Price had a few passing errors, but her turnover stats, her individual turnover stats, didn't sort of seem to match up with what they were seeing on the screen. So over to you, Oracle. Tell us what is a turnover. Yeah, so we do often talk about general play turnovers on the podcast, and this basically includes everything in general play where the team loses possession of the ball. It includes things that are characterised like bad hands or bad fumbles of the ball, bad passes when an intercept is thrown or when a turnover occurs via a deflection. It also includes things like penalties with held balls, offsides, breaks, passing over a third or any penalty while the player is in possession. I think that's probably a really important thing for people to understand with the general play turnovers. I think sometimes we just think, oh, that's just a, 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 you know, a really obvious mistake where we throw the ball, where someone throws the ball out of court. But as you said, a held ball or a step obviously turns the ball over to the, the other team as well. Yeah. And the, the question talked about the quad series and this might depend on who collates the stats, but I believe, you know, I had a look last night and champion data who does the SSN. It looked like they did the year's quad series too. Uh, but the thing here is it's important to consider that collating these stats is done by a human and not yeah. a computer. And even though we have objective definitions for individuals coding these stats, there can be some variation. So when, you talk about um, Jamie Lee Price mm. maybe having a few passing errors and her turnover stats don't match up. Well, 
it could be that um, one person might allocate that as a bad pass to her, or maybe they would allocate the turnover to the player she's passing to if they interpreted that that player was the one who fumbled the ball and you know didn't quite get it. So there can be those yeah. interpretation sort of things going on with how you code these statistics. So statisticians are human. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've met some of them. Some are human, some are more computer-like, I guess. It's really, it's, it's really fascinating to, to get that breakdown. Now, the next question comes from Dave Scroggs, who uses the Twitter handle RoystonPKRoyal on Twitter. Dave wants to know if this is, in fact, the closest Super Netball season for a while. And it's a great question because we've been hearing this repeatedly for weeks now, haven't we, that the ladder has never been so tight, anyone's in it. I sat down yesterday and was trying to work out the mathematical chance of the Sunshine Coast Lightning playing finals and it was too hard and I gave up. Um, But Dave writes, it seems like this season is far more unpredictable than the last four, four years. Are there more upsets is this the closest season so far Aaron well I can't really comment on if there are more upsets than expected it would objective isn't it more, yeah probably require a bit more statistical modeling than I can fit into a weekly podcast I know Dave <laughs> does a little bit of this work himself so maybe he can ah. look into that uh, I can however comment on the tightness of the ladder with respect to how each team's wins are spread from top to bottom at this point in the season so if we look at Super Netball, 11 rounds in. Um, and I didn't really consider bonus points in this. I just looked at the, the team's wins um, from each year. And what's Man, in- after my interesting about heart. this year is that from, yeah, too, <laughs> too much work. Uh, what's interesting about this year is that from third to last, there is only one win separating all of those teams. And like, I was amazed looking at the ladder after this round that the Thunderbirds are now up in third, I, I think. Crazy. I was like, how they get there, but they're there. Um, And this is something that's never happened before at this point of a super netball season where at round 11, we're typically seeing two or three teams that are easily eliminated from finals contention. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly every year of super netball so far, there's been no chance of the bottom team, the lightning, as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. even being able to consider making Mm -hmm. finals and they've got you doing the math um, (laughs) on that. Uh, 2021 might have been the next tightest race where looking at the wins uh, each team had, I'd say there were maybe six teams that still could just be in the hunt for the four final spots. But that year there was still a pretty solid top four of the Fever, Swifts, Lightning and Giants. Um, And then 2020 could have been considered a tight race as well, where although there was a much greater spread of wins, there was still a small chance that seven of the eight teams could have made finals over those last three weeks if Mm. they won out all of their games. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm just kind of digging for interesting (laughs) facts here to throw into the answer to this question. But the short answer is that I would say that this year of Super Netball is by far the closest race coming down to the tail end of the season, probably Um, by a long way. Brilliant. I'm glad it's not just PR that's trying to tell us this. That's great to actually understand that it's real. Now, before I ask Aaron for his performance prediction for this um, weekend's game against the Sunshine Coast Lightning, let's first check how he went last week. Obviously, we had two games. For the Fever game, you said the Vixens would again hold the Fever under 70 goals, which they did. And you said the West Coast Fever West Coast Fever's final score would be between sixty and sixty-five. Yes. So this was a double down on the early <laughs> prediction of the year, and 
after the 66 <laughs> the Fever scored earlier this year. Uh, the painful, painful 66. Yes. They hand they they made it up to me by a final total at sixty four. So probably my favorite prediction so far this year. I will say though, it's still amazing that the fever with the slow start we talked about still managed to reach this total that is above average for almost every other team. Like it, it's just easy for them to rack up those sixty, sixty five, seventy goal scores. Yeah, that's so true about fever. Some teams dream of those sort of big regular high totals. And for the Swifts clash, you suggested the Vixens' defensive pressure would cause the reigning premiers to turn over the ball more than 20 times? Yeah, that one didn't quite work out this week. So the Swifts managed to just scrape under for this one, recording 19 general play turnovers in the match. So we'll call that a, a loss for me. But let's feel happy for the Swifts, though, as they did break <laughs> their three-game streak of 20-plus turnovers. They did it actually earlier in the week against the Lightning uh, and then continued this form against the Vixens. So good on the Swifts, I guess. Interesting for them coming into a finals run, I guess. So what have you got for me ahead of this round 12? We're up to round 12 clash against the Lightning. What are you predicting? So the Lightning averaged the most missed goal attempts per game compared to every other team. They averaged 13 misses per game, which includes 23 from their round eight match. Uh, the Vixens have shown they can be a strong defensive rebounding team in various matches across the year, and they've recorded 11 rebounds in one game and a couple of matches where they've grabbed 10. Yeah. So putting all this together, I'm predicting the Vixens will have their highest rebounding match for the season this weekend. Not putting a number on it, but it's going to be the highest. Interesting. I wonder how much those, uh, obviously those misses, revolve around trying to catch up in games and the the super shot, which we all love and adore. Look, those predictions are in the book now, Aaron. Thank you so much. That's nearly it for the show. But before we go, we wanted to let all our listeners know about Deakin's virtual open day, which is coming up on Sunday, June 5. You can get all the information you need from one interactive digital event where you can explore courses, check out Deakin's various campuses and have study questions answered all from home. This will include the Fox Hunt's own Dr. Aaron Fox, who will be behind the scenes answering questions in the exercise and sports science session chat. Over the past two years, uh, more than 100,000 people have joined this open day that's all about tomorrow. You don't want to miss out. Search Deacon Open Day and reserve your spot. We also wanted to let you all know there won't be an episode of The Fox Hunt next Tuesday, May 31, as I'm going to be overseas, but we will be back with A Vengeance on June 7 to review the Vixens' Round 12 game against the Lightning we've been talking about and also the Round 13 clash with the Adelaide Thunderbirds. And I guess we'll start looking towards the finals at that time. Be sure to keep your eye on your socials, though, because in the absence of a full-blown podcast, Aaron is going to share some interesting stats and observations from round 12 using the Fox Hunt pod hashtag. So please don't let him slack off while I'm away. Thank you so much for joining us.